There are some fruits and vegetables that will keep a surprisingly long time if you keep them in the right place and at the right temperature. First on the list, romaine hearts. You know the kind where you get like a little three pack? Those can keep for seven to 10 days. Seven to 10 days, but I've actually kept them in my fridge for up to two weeks. When everything else is all gone or rotten, I can have those. Well, hello there, and welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for giving the show a listen this week, or a view, or a download, wherever it is in the world that you are. We appreciate the fact that you are here. And this is a big show today. They really often are, but today is really a big, big, big show, especially if you are a fan of fresh fruits and vegetables. Check this out. If you are like a lot of people, you're probably thinking to yourself, well, hey, I don't want to go to the store all that often. But if you are eating that plant-based diet, that can be a problem because fresh food can spoil so quickly right? You know what I'm talking about. Odds are that you have had to toss a veggie or two during your life. It happens, really sadly, more often than we would like to admit. But what if, what if we stocked up on the fresh fruits and vegetables that don't spoil so quickly? Well, to me, that seems like a grand idea. And that begs the question, well, which ones don't spoil so fast? To get that answer, we are going to turn to dietitian extraordinaire Lee Crosby. You know her, the fiber queen. Lee has done a ton of research and come up with a list of the top 10 fruits and veggies for longevity. And it's not just 10 things total. We're talking about 10 fruits and 10 veggies. She spent a lot of time pulling this information together. It's super exciting. And it's going to save you trips to the store, save food from going bad, and even save you some money because hopefully you're not going to be throwing any more food away. Plus on the show today, we're going to be answering your questions when doctors Neil Barnard and Jasmine Sardana step into the exam room to open up the doctor's mailbag. And this week, you guys sent in all kinds of amazing questions. Here's, here's a couple of them that I like. Carla wrote in wanting to know whether there was a connection between B12 supplements and acne. And Allison was curious whether there was such a thing as having too little sodium in your diet. And then Irma was checking in about the connection between plant-based diets and brittle nails. Can a vegan diet actually cause your fingernails to become brittle? Well, Dr. Barnard is going to have the answer on that. Plus, answers to a ton of other questions that you all sent in. But before we get to any of that, Let's visit with the Fiber Queen, Lee Crosby, and find out which fruits and vegetables last the longest. Continuing here on the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. So many people are afraid to go to the grocery store right now, and that's completely understandable. You want to keep your risk of exposure to the coronavirus at an absolute minimum, and every time you go out, wow, you are just risking that exposure. You don't want to do that, but there's a good chance if you're hearing the sound of my voice right now, my friend, you love some fresh fruits and vegetables. So... Well, if you can't go to the store, how can you still have fresh fruits and vegetables? Aha. We now, today, on the show, are going to explore the fruits and the vegetables that keep the longest so you don't have to keep going back. And to give us the top 10 for both fruits, both vegetables, it's going to be amazing. We welcome to the show, you know her as the Fiber Queen. I call her a friend. She is a dietitian extraordinaire. Lee Crosby, welcome back to the program. Delighted to be here, Chuck. I'm thrilled that you are here because now we are going to get some answers to a question that in all seriousness, I know that we joke around a ton, but in all seriousness, like this is, this is such a clutch topic right now. What are some of the, the vegetables that we should be buying that will keep the longest so we don't have to go to the store every few days? 
Yeah, it really is an issue because I was I was guilty. I used to go to the grocery store, especially because there was one right in the building. I used to go every few days, and that's not happening anymore. So there are there are some fruits and vegetables that will keep a surprisingly long time if you keep them in the right place and at the right temperature. So do you want to start with veggies or fruit? I think we can, man. Let's let's talk about the veggies. Let's you know, and and I want the the old the top ten. I think that you called them survivors. Yes, right. You know, like the survivor, like the show way back in the day, or the the last thing was outlast. Like these are the <laughs> outlast all the lesser vegetables in your fridge. Not that they're lesser; they're just a little more delicate. So, top a lot of the top ones here are actually leafy greens because I want people to keep eating leafy greens. I think it's really important that people are eating leafy greens during this particular pandemic, Um, any pandemic, but this one especially. So the first one on my list here, and we're going to go from keeps the shortest to keeps the longest. So it's going to get better as we go. First on the list, romaine hearts. You know the kind where you get like the little three pack? Yeah. Yeah. Romaine hearts. Yeah. Those can keep for seven to 10 days, according to my go-to website for this kind of information, which is called stilltasty.com. Seven to 10 days, but I've actually kept them in my fridge for up to two weeks. So I've never tested them past two weeks because I eat them, but they're one of those things that even if I, if I can only go to the grocery store once in a week, normally I will get those because towards the end of the week, when everything else is all gone or rotten, I can have those. But you, when you had it keep for up to two weeks, you hadn't washed them and put them back, right? Nope, just in the bag. Okay. Good, they come good sealed up in a bag that is going to maximize their shelf life, so I'm a big fan of that. And speaking of bags, those bagged greens, um, sometimes the greens in the tub, it's a little bit iffy, but some of the, the tougher bagged greens, so we're talking about things that are based on um, romaine or spinach, um, cabbage, of course, those are going to keep a long time. Just make sure you check the dates on your bag greens and get ones that are dated as far out as possible. So those can, again, be seven to 10 days. And it's probably, it's not great for everyone else, but if you want to get the one that is dated out the longest, so the freshest one, go to the back. Grab the one at the back, that is the one, or the one at the bottom is the one that's most likely to, you know, last longest. Pro All right, tip. so that's, yeah. So romaine hearts, number one, bag greens, two. Next up, hydroponic lettuce. Hmm. Yeah. You know, the fancy lettuce that comes in the, the whole head that comes in the like plastic tub thing. Yeah. T- I think it's typically like butter, butter. Yeah. Lettuce butter lettuce. Like yeah. 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 So it's not necessarily the variety. It's that it has the little roots attached to it. So it's basically just a living plant hanging out in your fridge. Hmm. So that can last for weeks. According to the site, the kitchen, that's kitchen without the E. Um, I don't do a lot of hydroponic lettuce cause it's pretty pricey, but it, it has lasted a long time in my fridge when I've had it. Next up, bell peppers. Most people would think, do those last? But they go one to two weeks in the fridge in a plastic bag. And I love them because particularly the colorful ones are super high in vitamin C. Sweet. Excellent. If you're having things like a black bean taco, again, it's going to help you absorb the iron. Next up, I think this one is no surprise to anyone, carrots. They can go three to four weeks in the fridge in a plastic bag or even maybe up to one to two months, depends on which source you look at. I've probably kept them in there for at least six weeks and they've been all right. Don't they develop a little bit of slime on them, specifically with baby carrots after a few weeks? Do you ever get that, that little bit of a film? On them? Uh, yeah, so um, if your baby carrots are slimy, I wouldn't eat those. <laughs> Good to know. Good baby to know. Carrots, when the baby carrots reach their use-by date, once they're past that, I would toss them. We're talking the regular carrots that come in a the bag. full length. Yeah. The full-on, the, the standard carrot. All Grandma's right. Carrots. Grandma's carrots in your fridge are going to last three to four weeks, maybe more. Grandma's carrots. None <laughs> of these little laved, <laughs> bleached baby carrots. Well, so, all right. So carrots. So now we're, we're, we're five and now we're moving into the ones that last even longer. Next up, winter squash. You like a butternut? You like a spaghetti squash? Absolutely. Both. Uh, two thumbs up. Two thumbs up. That's right. Okay. Those you actually don't want to put in your fridge. They're going to last longer if they're in a, ideally a cool pantry or like a cool spot in the basement would be nice because 50 to 60 degrees is optimal. Now, most of us don't necessarily have that. Um, but one to two months in those conditions, full disclosure in warmer conditions than that, like room temperature, my husband and I have squash that we grew and harvested back in October. That's still good. Spaghetti what? At both. So let's hear it for winter squash being an 
excellent keeper. Wow. That's, and that's just laziness because we haven't made them yet. <laughs> it wasn't about the pandemic. That's pure laziness. Um, okay, so winter squash. Next up, onions, two to three months in a cold, dry pantry. Um, or this I didn't know, the fridge. If you don't have like a really cool, dry spot, and we're talking like, again, 50 degrees, they should go in the fridge. I always left them on the counter, but that is the wrong thing to do. So if you don't have a cool, dry place for them, into the fridge they go, and they will last longer. Interesting. I know. Um, next up, potatoes and sweet potatoes. Uh, one to two weeks at room temperature, which is nice. But again, if you have a cold, dry pantry, two to three months, there are some notes here. So potato notes, um, if you put a potato in the fridge. What? Come on, potato notes. Is there any other kind of note? I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Never thought I'd be having a conversation about potatoes in depth, but here we go. That's not true. But not about the nutrition side. So if you put a potato in the fridge, it's going to actually make it taste sweet and the color is going to go dark. The starches convert to sugars in the fridge. I do not know the biochemistry behind that, but that'll be a, that'll be a fun little research project for later. So wow. put them in the fridge, put them in a paper bag, put them somewhere cool and put them somewhere dark. Do you know about this? The importance of storing potatoes in the dark? I believe you told me this once just kind of in passing, not on the show. Pop quiz, Chuck. Pop quiz, hotshot. That's a good reference there. Um, I, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to let you down here. I can't remember exactly why the science was You don't was soak there. in every little tidbit that I pass your way. Well, you throw so many. How can I possibly be able <laughs> and expected to retain all Wrong. of this? Come on. All right, all right. So exposure to light for potatoes increases their production of a toxin called solanine right under the skin. So, and the skin turning green is an indicator of that. So if your potatoes are turning green, you should just toss them. The green itself is actually chlorophyll. That's not going to hurt you, but it's an indicator that the potato has ramped up its production of solanine. So again, per the National Institutes of Health, check those green potatoes out. You can cut out eyes, but if it's green, don't peel it, just throw it away. Um, if you're buying them from the farmer's market or you dig them up yourself, if you grow them, leave the dirt on them that actually helps keep the light off the potato. They want to be dry, but you can just leave them dirty. It's great. Hmm. And actually your grocery store will cover up potatoes at night to keep any light off of them, generally speaking, with burlap or, you know, plastic tarp kind of thing. So, yeah, in the dark for potatoes. That's pretty cool. We actually have a place around here when the world is operating as it should <laughs> that uh, you can actually go and dig your own potatoes. It's pretty cool. What? Take your own potato. There is a, see, there's a business opportunity I would not have thought of. <laughs> Dig your own potatoes. Mm -hmm. And then the last one, note that that does not happen with sweet potatoes. The, the toxin thing does not happen with sweet potatoes. That's just regular white potatoes. And then finally, garlic. I think most of us know this. Three to five months, if you're keeping them somewhere cool and dry with good airflow, don't refrigerate them because they will sprout faster in the fridge, weirdly. So if the sprout won't hurt you, it's just going to be bitter. Good Lots of talk about garlic uh, recently about the, its effects on the immune system. Like that's been uh, a hot topic on the exam room of late. Yeah. So I want people eating plenty of garlic, but again, and it, you can just buy it once and keep it for almost half a year if you do it right. <laughs> Good to know. I like it in, in hummus personally, you know. Oh, garlic, garlic hummus. Yeah. yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. that's a good one. Yeah. Anytime you're doing like a, and it's almost gazpacho season. So because those tomatoes won't keep, make them. Throw a couple cloves of garlic in that blender. So good. <laughs> so good. Gazpacho season. It's almost there. <laughs> I you count down the days every year to gazpacho <laughs> season. Gazpacho season. Come on. <laughs> All right. Uh, you, you also have something called cheap keepers. I like Can this. Can we make this go viral yet? I'm really, I was so proud of myself for thinking this up. If someone else has come up with it, please don't tell me. But basically fruits, vegetables, and foods in general that keep a really long time in particular, the vegetables, cheap keepers, so carrots, cabbage, potatoes, and sweet potatoes, those things that'll keep for a month or more. I'm trying to get them to called cheap keepers because that's just fun, right? Hashtag. Cheapers keepers, it sure is. Ah. <laughs> nice. I see what you I love it. I love it so much. Okay, so we've got the vegetables covered. Now let's turn our attention to the other side of the produce aisle fruits. and talk about some fruits. Yeah, yes. I love uh, I love me some fruit. I said on the exam room live over on Facebook that I start my morning now 
almost every single day with a big old bowl of fruit. You know, what do I have in the kitchen? We're going to cut it up. We're going to put it in a bowl and then we're going to eat it and we're going to enjoy the heck out of it. So what are the fruits that keep the longest? Save me from having to go to the store so often. Okay. First one I was a little surprised about. I, I It's kind of tough because fruits don't generally keep as well or as long as vegetables, but cherries. It's not quite cherry season slash gazpacho season, but we're close. So four to 10 days in the fridge um, in a plastic bag. Again, don't wash any of these things first because the moisture can encourage rot. Uh, grapes, one to two weeks. And the nice thing is if they're starting to get a little puny again, as long as they're not rotten or moldy, just go ahead and rinse them and freeze them. And they are so delicious. Blueberries, one to two weeks. Whole watermelon. This was a fun one. I hadn't really thought about it until I did deep. <laughs> watermelon, two weeks in the fridge. Um, seven to 10 days, actually, at room temperature. So that's a good one, unless you cut it up, in which case it needs to be in the fridge right away. Um, oranges and grapefruits, three to four weeks in the fridge in a plastic bag. I separated out lemons and limes here because I wanted to get the list to 10. And <laughs> again, there just aren't that many fruits that last a long time. So those are also three to four weeks in the fridge. It's not cranberry time, but in cranberry season, those puppies will last three to six weeks in the fridge. So that's a long time. Um, this one was my favorite discovery, which we talked about in the live segment of this. Kiwi fruit. you'll want to ripen it on the counter, but once it's ripe, you want to put it in the fridge. It'll go three to six weeks. That's a long time. I can vouch for that because I forgot a couple in the back of the fridge uh, at the beginning of all this. And a month later, I pulled them out and they were still good. How about that? Yeah, kiwi fruit, also really high in vitamin C. Next up, again, it's not quite the right season, but pomegranates in a plastic bag will last in the fridge for one to two months. Mm. Pretty intense. And that's right up there with apples, one to two months in the fridge in a plastic bag. Interestingly, if you have these commercial facilities that have just the right humidity and temperature, they can last for six months or more. So let's- Holy Moses. Yeah, yeah. It's always apple picking season then, six months. It pretty much is, yeah. Yeah. Dang on. All right. So here's the question, right? So we've just gone through this incredible top 10 for both fruits and vegetables, right? But what if you're listening to this and you're like, well, man, my favorites didn't make the list. Should we be skipping those right now in favor of the foods that are more likely to last the longest? No, I want people to go ahead and while you're at the store, buy all that stuff that doesn't last very long. So your berries and your, your sort of tender greens, like the spring mix, go ahead and buy it. Just eat those first. You kind of want to sort of go in, in order, if that makes sense. So eat those really high nutrient, but not so hearty vegetables and fruits first. And you're going to kind of go into middle gear, right? So you're going to maybe do a chopped salad that's got those romaine hearts and some tomato in it or some steamed asparagus because that'll last like five to seven days. Your kale and collard greens, again, they're going to last like five to seven days. Your bananas, all that stuff. And then it's been a week and you're like, oh, I really don't want to go get exposed. I want to stretch this out to two weeks. You're going to savor the survivors, right? So you're going to make coleslaw. You're going to shred some cabbage and some carrots. Those will both last for a super long time. Sliced apples, carrots and sliced bell peppers are great in that garlicky hummus that you've got going there. So, you know, you just want to kind of eat in order of how long it's going to last. All right. So brass tacks then, tips for kind of everything blanket, regardless of what it is that we're buying. What should we be doing, Lee Crosby, to make it last the longest? Okay. We're going to go back to home ec. Is that a thing? Am I dating myself? Is that a class they even have anymore? It's probably called something different now. <laughs> okay. Right. Which I actually never took. I took one shot, but it was really important. And I wish I had taken it now again, because sewing masks, these are things that would be really nice to know how to do. I never pegged you for a woodshop kind of a person. Oh, both years as middle school. I was like, home ec, why? Now, <laughs> ironic because it's a lot of my job. Hey, all right. So you're going to store things right. Your cool pantry, we kind of talked about this. Your potato, your, most of your root vegetables, your potatoes, your sweet potatoes, onions, garlic, winter squash, into the fridge immediately, everything that's tender, right? So the berries, the grapes, the melons, apples, oranges, leafy greens, Carrots, actually, while they are a root vegetable, should go straight in the fridge. And then everything else, you kind of want to sit on the countertop to ripen and put it in the fridge. And that's like your melons, your mangoes, tomatoes. I know if you put tomatoes in the fridge, they get a little mealier, but they're going to last a lot longer. So peaches, pears, kiwis, again, once they're ripe into the fridge, they're not going to get any better on your countertop. Right on. 
You know what I'm a fan of in the fridge are those crisper drawers. My yes. father-in-law has himself a fancy refrigerator with all kinds of buttons on the crisper drawers. What? Talk to me about using them like a boss. I know. Okay, so crisper drawers, right? Again, something I never really thought I'd be discussing, but they're really actually important. They make a difference. So they are not just designed to like have more spaces to like just throw random stuff in. Like, go ahead, take your hummus out of the crisper and put it wherever it goes in the fridge and use your crisper drawers for what they're actually meant for. Usually there'll be one that is high humidity or I'll have like a little vegetable icon on it. And sometimes you can adjust the humidity. And by doing that, like a basic fridge like mine, literally it's just like a little, little, I don't even know what you call it. But anyways, a little thing that you can adjust that will allow you to either open or close a little window. And that determines how much air circulation there is in that little crisper drawer. So the stuff that wilts easily, like greens and fresh herbs, or is sensitive to a plant hormone, ethylene gas, we're going to talk about that, um, you want to put in that high humidity or veggie drawer because it's going to keep the humidity in and keep the ethylene gas out, which is good. Mm. Both of those things can um, will help protect these particular things. So again, leaf, if it wilts easily into the vegetable high humidity drawer, the low humidity or the fruit drawer, again, it's going to have like a little fruit icon on it. That's got It's got better venting, right? So it lets the humidity out and actually also helps get the ethylene gas that a lot of these fruits make, which makes them ripen faster, which is not really what you want when they're in the fridge because it also makes them rot faster. It's going to let So what you want to store in that fruit drawer, obviously things that either produce ethylene or do better with lower humidity. So apples, citrus, stone fruits, grapes, and mushrooms actually should go in that fruit drawer. Mushrooms in the fruit drawer? Who would have thought? I know, mind blown. I know. You're talking about ethylene gas, like, a matter of fact, just a couple days ago, we, we actually were able to order groceries for the first time in forever, and the what? shopper brought wow. uh, bananas in one of those produce bags, right? Mm-hmm. And I just didn't even think to take them out of the bag. I was putting everything else away. I come back, like, two days later, man, and those things had gone from green to, like, almost, like, solid brown, yeah. Yeah. So anything that's going to, anything that traps that ethylene gas in there, if it's a veg or a fruit that produces it, it's going to ripen up super fast. You can use that to your advantage. Now, if you wanted to have make banana bread and all you had is green bananas, put them in a plastic bag. Um, or if you want to ripen up, say, you know, an avocado, mm-hmm. put it there with a banana in a bag and let that go. Um, but yeah, in this case, we want to prevent that process. So oh, yeah. I did use it to to my advantage, at least a couple of them. I actually mashed them up and, and put them in uh, with some oatmeal, made some overnight oats and threw some cacao in there. And Ooh. it was just like chocolate overnight oats. And it was amazing. That sounds totally delightful. Three ingredients. Well, four if you count the water. But I mean, it was just <laughs> incredible, right? So, so wow. good. Just cacao. Cocoa powder, cacao. Yeah. Bananas, oats. Bananas. You got to mash them up pretty good, right? So you want to get them nice and, you know, take out your frustrations on it. Yeah. (laughs) And then, you know, mix it, mix it all together. And we're supposed to be working out at home. I think that counts. I know. You should see my biceps after that. Uh, All right. So here's the, here's the thing, right? So let's say you do have a situation like those bananas, right? And the produce goes a little bit past its prime. Is there anything we can do at that point to try to salvage some of it? Or is it just time to just cut your losses? I mean, it depends. Like we mentioned with the potatoes, if they're turning green or if they're like soft or mushy, you just want to toss them. Um, but if it's if it's not moldy and it's just like a little, eh, you know, like the grapes got a little on the flabby side, like that's fine. There are a couple things you can do. Smoothies, we all know about that. Um, there's soups too. You wouldn't put grapes in your soup, but you could do some veggies, that kind of thing. The other thing that you can do is if there's just no way you're going to use it all up in time is to blanch and freeze. And the reason, okay, do you know what blanching is? Let's start there. Yeah, it's a very fast boil. It's like in and out of the water. Yeah. In and out, right? So actually, depending on your fruit or veggie, anywhere from one to 10 minutes. So some of them actually need a really long blanch and some Mm. a little dip in the pool. So there's a cool resource. The University of Georgia has a national center for home food preservation, and it'll tell you, it'll give you, and we can maybe link this, um, it'll tell you how long you need to blanch whatever it is that you are trying to freeze before you freeze it. And what that does is actually inactivates enzymes in the fruit or vegetable that would cause browning or texture issues because they would still operate in the freezer just at a much lower level. So you're wow. going to come out looking a lot nicer coming out of the freezer if you blanch it before it goes in. 
You know where I learned about blanching was actually in roasting Brussels sprouts. I learned that if you blanch them a little bit before you put them in the oven, like for me, they just turn out a little bit more tender. I love it. Ooh, that's a really good, look at you and your pro tips. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm going to have to try that. I'm it. telling you, man, working with the Physicians Committee, I've picked up on all kinds of fun little nuggets that-, that I know, like, which dietitian told you that? Was that Maggie? <laughs> it, it, actually, no, it was just somebody randomly in the comm department, the communication huh. staff. They were like, hey, try this. I was like, okay. And I did. Font of knowledge, this whole organization, it's pretty great. Unbelievable. Like, if we could just collectively pool all of our knowledge and put it like in one brain, we would legitimately be the smartest person in the entire <laughs> ever. world. Ever. In the history of ever. All right, let's end with this, right? So in everybody's freezer, they've got that one bag of whatever in the back. It's I mean, covered. I would never. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're talking like freezer burn to the max. We got like a quarter inch thick of ice on it. So like, what is the deal there? Is that still good to eat at all? Or is that something you're like, even though it's been frozen, you're probably going to want to skip that one? Well, it depends on how refined your palate is, Chuck. Because the good news is that if you are keeping something in your freezer and your freezer is at temperature, which is zero Fahrenheit or negative 18 Celsius, that stuff's going to be safe to eat indefinitely. It's good. Now, will it be tasty to eat? <laughs> Really, <laughs> if you are more sophisticated, probably not. Again, this might be a nice place to put it into a smoothie with some strong flavor, like like you said, cacao, something that's just going to cover it up because, again, it won't hurt you, but not going to taste great, probably. And this, uh, these are some of the things that you can talk about with your patients when you see them over at the Barnard Medical Center, right? Yeah, I mean, we're usually getting a little more on the medical side of nutrition, but yeah, sometimes right. if they're having issues and are not able to get to the store very much or, you know, they, yeah, there are just lots. Of, yes. We can cut. Uh, yes. Yes. All right. But the bottom line is this, right? So you being the dietitian extraordinaire that you are, you put the premium on nutrition, you go over people's diets, you get them on the right track, you help them out, say, Hey man, if you want to be healthy, this is what you need to eat. And then you can kind of refine that and create your own top 10 fruit and vegetable list and go from there. Absolutely. In the clinic, it's all about customizing and tailoring to what people like to get them as healthy as we possibly can. Outstanding. Now, here's the cool thing. Lee is available and her colleagues are available to see you. Yes, you right now uh, via telehealth. You don't have to leave the comfort of your own home. I mean, you can do this appointment in slippers and PJs. It is a-okay. Trust me. So if you live, here's the list in Washington, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, Missouri, Massachusetts, California, New York, and I believe a couple others still TBD coming soon. Perhaps you can call schedule an appointment right now by visiting barnardmedical.org or old school pick up the old telly 202-527-7500 202-527-7500 get your nutrition in order my friends and uh, they got doctors and dietitians like it's really a full service doctor's office it's phenomenal i cannot say enough good things i'm a patient there myself and i swear by it these are great people and so often honestly lee i can't tell you how many times a listener or viewer has written in and say hey where can I find a good plant-based doctor? And I'm not trying to sell anything here, but I'm so grateful now that we're offering these telehealth visits to people all over the country because it makes it so easy. They don't have to, you know, drive, you know, 10 cities to find somebody. Right. Yeah. So I will say this, we had offered them on a much more limited scale, but as horrible as this whole situation is, that is one silver lining is that telehealth is it's happening and we are right on the leading edge of that so again we're available to people you know in places across the country which is really exciting cool all right well make your appointments now 202-527-7500 or barnardmedical.org and lee you and i will make an appointment to have you back on the show very very soon sounds great thanks chuck the top five on the exam room live not too terribly long ago but since you are a podcast listener we wanted to expand that and give you the full top 10 and so hopefully 
that is going to save you some trips to the store, cut down on food waste, and even save you some money. All good things. All very good things. So thank you very much, Lee, for putting in all of that time to come up with that list. Your help is most certainly appreciated, my friend. And by the way, The Exam Room Live airs Monday through Friday at noon Eastern over on the Physicians Committee's Facebook page. Dr. Neil Barnard often in the cockpit with me for for these shows. You know, we're just flying high in the nutrition sky every weekday. And we want you to join us for what we call the healthiest show on the web today. And speaking of that show, Dr. Barnard and I recently sat down with Dr. Jasmine Sardana to tackle a bunch of your questions. You guys had flooded our inbox, and now it's time to send out some responses. Responses to questions from people like Gretchen, who wanted to know whether vinegar can kill the coronavirus, or a question from Camille, who wanted to know what was the difference between gluten and vital gluten. And then Annie was checking in, wanting to know what she should eat if she can't eat beans. Some very interesting questions and some even better answers. So let's find out those answers right now. It is time now to open up the doctor's mailbag. Dr. Barnard and Dr. Jazz, they are here to answer your questions. And we're going to get to as many as we possibly can. And this first question comes to us from Carla on Facebook. She writes, is there any relation between the supplementation with B12 and acne? I've noticed that when I take B-complex pills, I tend to have acne, but I don't with B12. Thanks, guys, in advance. Dr. Barnard, what do you think? Okay. Well, first of all, I'm glad you're taking your B12. Um, Everybody should. You need it for healthy nerves, healthy blood, um, and uh, important to take it. Uh, But you notice there's two different ways that you're taking it. One is as a B12 alone or as B-complex. What's B-complex? That means there's also the other B vitamins are in there, thiamine, folate, niacin, so forth. Um, So the first question is, could it be one of those other vitamins that's somehow triggering the acne, whereas when you take B12 alone, no, um, possibly, but I, I quite doubt that. I think what's much more likely is that there's some filler that's being added uh, to the pill that's in the B-complex and not in the B12. Um, I might add, you don't really need the B-complex because if you're eating a healthy vegan diet, you are getting the other B vitamins. The B12 is the one you need. So I, if I were you, I'd stick with B12. Go to the store, get the lowest dose they sell, take it every day. Dr. Chaz, this next one is coming to you. This one is from Irma. She writes, I've been on a plant-based diet for a few months and my nails are very thin and brittle. Do you have any suggestions? Oh, interesting question. Um, So brittle nails, it can deceivingly seem to be a a simple um, symptom that should have a simple answer. But my, my, my mantra is always to find out what the root cause is. And brittle nails is one of those things is it could be something really simple. It could potentially just be, are you washing your hands too often? Are you using all of those abrasive cleaners as we have been to clean our homes really often as your, are your hands and your nails exposed to that? Could it be an environmental cause? Um, Or could it be something else? Do you have an underlying medical condition that could be contributing to brittle nails? We know that lots of medical conditions present in our hair and our nails and uh, in our skin. Um, So for example, if you have anemia, if you have a thyroid condition, uh, that can potentially affect how your nails look. We know that brittle nails are actually very common as we age, as we grow older. So that's a, that's a, that could be a factor of your hormones. Um, so important uh, to note that as well. And there could be other underlying or concomitant skin conditions that could present as, um, as brittle nails. So um, the, 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 the quick answer to that is it really depends on what the underlying cause of, of the brittle nails are. 
Dr. Barnard, this next one comes to you, and this is from Allison, phenomenal supporter of the Physicians Committee. She runs the uh, Gregory Ryder Memorial Fund. Uh, She writes in, we know reducing sodium intake is one way to reverse hypertension and reduce some of those COVID-19 comorbidities. Health authorities typically recommend somewhere between 1,500 and 2,300 milligrams daily as the max. But what is the minimum? We almost never hear about that. And now I've gone from prepared and processed foods to cooking at home from scratch. I'm finding it's easier than I thought to bring my sodium intake way down. Right now I'm about 750 milligrams today, and I just want to make sure that I haven't gone too far. Dr. Barnard, what is the minimum there? Well, first of all, I want to say thank you so much for your support of this program and for helping us get the information out there far and wide. Thank you. Uh, It's a great question because uh, elevated sodium intake, if you're getting too much, it raises blood pressure. And what many people may not realize is it may also accelerate bone loss. And that's because when you're taking in too much sodium, your kidneys end up kicking out calcium. So it's good to minimize uh, sodium. However, um, sodium is also important. It's an electrolyte along with potassium and there are others too. And they help the cells to maintain their membrane integrity. Uh, What that really means is if you don't have sodium, that's not good either. So the amount that is is really uh, optimal is about 1500 per day. That's that's the RDA. If a person is over 50, it's gonna go down to about 1300 and then over 70, it's about 1200. But somewhere in that range is where you wanna be. Um, so at 750, that is, that is on the low side. Um, you can get to 1,500 um, uh, relatively easily with um, plant-based foods. They tend to be naturally low in sodium, adding just minimal amounts uh, either during cooking or on the, at the table. But, but your instincts are absolutely right. You don't want to go high because going high is really dangerous too. Dr. Barnard, sticking with you. This one has been in the headlines recently. It comes to us from Annette. What can you tell us about the article yesterday about the use of famotidine found in Pepsid in COVID-19? Okay, here's what what happened. Um, In China, uh, researchers discovered that people who were taking this drug, it's it's marketed in the U.S. as Pepsid, uh, had about half the COVID mortality compared with people taking other brands of heartburn medications. And so researchers at Northwell in um, New York started studying it, but I have to say they, they did it effectively in secret because they knew exactly what would happen is if word got out that they were testing Pepsid to see if it could cut down uh, COVID mortality, which was that everybody would go out and buy it and you wouldn't be able to get any at the store. And since this uh, article came out really, I guess yesterday or the day before, uh, that's exactly what's happening is, is you go into the CVS and all the Pepsi is gone. Uh, several cautions should be made. Um, f- first of all, nobody knows if it's going to work. That's the reason they're doing the study. And it's still very early days in the study. We hope so. I uh, hope it will work, but we don't know. Secondly, the way they were using it was intravenously. They're injecting it. Um, third, the amount is 900% higher than what you would take orally. Don't try this at home. So um, it's, it, we're very much where we were with, with hydrochloroquine. Um, when you get early signs of something, then you've got to put it to the test. Um, so far, hydro, uh, I'm sorry, hydroxychloroquine. So far, it's not looking good for COVID-19. We hope, it, it, we hope that there will be more optimistic uh, data coming in. We hope that'll be true for Pepsid. But for now, before anyone goes off and hopes that this will protect against COVID, we really need better, better signs. Dr. Jazz, you hear about Pepsid, you think about heartburn, and a lot of people sleep in the upright position if they do have that. They want to try to lessen that heartburn as best as they can. So this next question comes to us from Carla, and she writes, do you recommend sleeping in an upright position if you have COVID-19? Can that help with difficulty breathing? Interesting um, question. So I I don't know of any studies yet. I'm sure they're going to be coming out as far as positioning is concerned. Results, I don't know of yet. But what I can tell you is that um, when it comes to positioning, prone positioning or laying on your stomach has traditionally been used as an adjunct treatment uh, for those with ARDS, which is the severe form of lung injury that can happen with COVID infections. And usually those individuals are very, very sick, they're intubated, they're in the ICU, and they're kept in that position for about 16 hours out of the day, um, 
help open up parts of the lung that have collapsed while laying in, in a supine position. So just want to put that out there. There is some data coming out that prone positioning might be, could be, they're looking at if it could be potentially beneficial in individuals who have coronavirus or COVID-19 infections who are not in the ICU, who are not ill enough to be in the ICU and how beneficial that could be. They have not yet um, talked yet about supine positioning. Um, So that's still, um, we're still waiting to hear about that. Right now, if you're having difficulty breathing, um, it's important that you're talking to your doctor um, and that you're checking in with somebody um, um, if, if you're having those symptoms. I'm actually impressed that they're actually looking at positioning, given everything mm-hmm. else that they're trying to study about this virus right now. I, I would not have guessed that positioning would have made the cut so far, but I'll be daggone. Uh, Dr. Barnard, this next one comes to us from Gretchen on Facebook. She writes, does spraying veggies with vinegar kill COVID-19? Uh, great question. You, you think it might because vinegar is sort of like alcohol and alcohol can kill viruses. Uh, but the answer is no. Vinegar is not effective. Um, and, and in fact, neither is alcohol um, unless you get to the right amount. Uh, the reason I mention that is some people will um, take some vodka out of the fridge um, and douse their, their veg- veggies with, with something like that. It's got to be about 60% alcohol or more and so some 40 proof um, or 80 proof uh, vodka is not going to do it. 80 proof is about 40% alcohol, not strong enough to do it. So sorry, no dice. All right. Sticking with you, this one comes to us from Annie and she is serious about the beans here. What do we do if beans disrupt our digestion? Do we need all caps? Do we need to eat beans? Okay. Wonderful question. Um, beans are kind of the under emphasized food. Uh, and and they're, they're great. They've got protein, they've got calcium, they have iron, they even have traces of omega-3. They've got soluble fiber, insoluble fiber. We should cheerlead for our friend the bean. Um, however, uh, they can cause a little GAS for some people. But rather than forego the beans completely, how about this? Number one, have smaller quantities because if they do cause any digestive upset, it's sort of dose related. So a little bit goes a long way. Some people will say, well, I had this much steak. I should have this much beans. That's a lot of beans. Have just a little bit. Secondly, there should be no al dente beans. In other words, cook them. Cook them till they're really, really, really soft. Um, If they're crunchy, they're going to be a digestive challenge. Um, If you cook them yourself, um, let me encourage you to soak them overnight and make sure that they're uh, cooked then for a good hour or more till they're soft discard the soaking water before you cook and, uh, and, and see how you do. If you are buying canned beans and you open them up and they're like little rocks, that means the, the factory did not cook them enough and you'll want to buy a different brand. Uh, last thing, you may discover that if something causes some indigestion now, wait around, come back to it later on. Uh, your gut is a little bit like the weather. Sometimes it changes its, its mood and you'll, you'll be able to digest them more later. All right. And Dr. Jazz, this next question comes to us from Pitbullfan1951 on Instagram. Do you have any idea how long the virus can live on our skin? I do know that if you're washing your hands as frequently as we should be, um, that that shouldn't be an issue. Um, We know that with the friction of hand washing, soap and water, if you're doing that as frequently as possible, every hour, every couple hours, every time, obviously, after you go to the restroom, if you're coming um, in, in, indoors from being outside, if you had to go to the grocery store, making sure that you're doing that. So at every opportunity, at every point, if you're washing your hands frequently, um, that should not be an issue. But that's a great question. I can look up that answer and find it for you. Yeah, um, let, let, me, let me jump in. Now, uh, Jasmine, you're absolutely right. Um, the, the virus can live on inanimate surfaces for a couple of days. I'm talking right. about cardboard or plastic or steel. Your skin is an animate sur- surface, meaning it's moist and it's got things for, to nourish the virus. So it lasts on your skin far longer than mm-hmm. you would want between showers or hand washing. So if you're not bathing every day and you're not washing your hands many times throughout the day, then... Um, we, we absolutely do need to, to um, take those on because, because the, the viability of the virus is far longer than those. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Uh, Dr. Barnard, sticking with you, this one's coming to us from Sheila. She writes, should a mildly active vegetarian, 28-year-old male who is obese but does not have hypertension or prediabetes be worried about COVID? Yes. Um, Yes. Uh, The the answer is yes. Frankly, everybody should be worried about COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, If you are young or old, skinny or not, um, in perfect health or less than perfect health, everybody should be worried about COVID because this virus is, is tough um, and the mortality is high, even among people who are generally fit. That said, um, the people with underlying conditions do much worse. And it's great that your blood pressure is in good shape and it sounds like your blood sugar is too, but it looks like you're also looking to, to get rid of some excess weight. That's good because if you're following a healthy diet, but your weight is not down to where it needs to be yet, um, that is one of the underlying conditions that does put you at risk. Um, our medical colleagues who are on the front lines right now, and we talk all the time, uh, they're having lots and lots and lots and lots of issues um, with younger folks if they have obesity. What I mean by that is that person is much more likely to end up in the ICU and to have a real tough time getting off their ventilator if they got COVID. So um, recipe for, for getting rid of that excess weight, completely plant-based diet, not halfway, not the occasional grilled cheese sandwich, do it all the way. Um, let, let's see if we can really reach our goals and also keep the oils low. That means cooking oils, uh, nuts, guacamole. Those are the, the high fat foods. Put that to work, see how you do. And the weight will come off gradually, but you'll be really glad as it does. All right, time for two more questions. Dr. Jazz, this one's coming to you. It's one that we've gotten a lot. A lot of people are probably wondering about this one. Why is vitamin C important for good immunity? So interesting. Um, we touched on this before, and I think what we found is that while there, vitamin C is, is, is potent, it's important for immune function, um, the question always comes to me is, is supplementation important? And I haven't seen strong evidence to show that supplementation is important in general. And specifically, uh, when it comes to coronavirus, I haven't seen that, that data. Getting, getting vitamin C, <clears throat> excuse me, however, through citrus, through vegetables, through your food um, is, is powerful. And it's, it's absolutely important to, to maintain a strong immune system. All right, Dr. Barnard, the final question comes to you. And this one is from Camille. She writes on Instagram, I have a question about the difference between gluten and vital gluten. I see some vegan products that have vital gluten also mentioned as seitan, but I thought that all gluten is bad. Any help you could provide with this would be greatly appreciated. What's the lowdown on gluten, Dr. Barnard? Okay, gluten, gluten is a protein. Um, gluten is in wheat. It's in rye. It's in barley. That's about it. There are a few other grains that have it, but that's really it. And no, gluten is not bad. Um, gluten is only bad if you are sensitive to it. So people who have celiac disease, they, if, if they have an exposure to this protein in wheat or barley or rye, it really tears up their digestive tract and they have to avoid it completely. Good news, that's about 1% of the population or even a little bit less. But maybe one in 10, say 10% of the population, they just feel better if they don't have gluten. When I say feel better, I mean uh, digestive-wise or mentally. Um, they're foggy when they have gluten. They're clearer when they don't. So if that's you, you might want to avoid gluten. But the other 90% of people, they go on a gluten-free diet and they don't get any better. They just get frustrated because they're buying expensive, not very tasty foods in some cases. Um, But there's one thing I really like about a a gluten-free diet is it makes a vegan diet seem really easy. (laughs) (laughs) Gluten-free is a pain. And then um, don't mean to say it's terrible because uh, there there are a lot of foods that never had gluten, rice and corn. And there there are many grains that are perfectly fine and they are gluten-free naturally. Okay, so vital gluten. Um, From what I have been able to discern is that vital gluten is like virgin oil. It's a great marketing name. All right. That's it. <laughs> okay. Marketing 101 with Dr. Barnard. If you have a question that you'd like to send into the doctor's mailbag, go right ahead. Just follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Chuck Carroll WLC. Send it there using the hashtag exam room podcast, or you can find me on Facebook. Send me a message there with your question or... 
Alternatively, you can follow the Physicians Committee on Instagram at Physicians Committee and over on Twitter at PCRM. Same deal applies. Just use the hashtag exam room podcast. And don't forget that Lee Crosby and Jasmine Sardana are both available for consultation at the Barnard Medical Center. Now, the BMC, as we call it around here, is ramping up telemedicine visits. And what that means for you is that you can meet with these guys without ever leaving your house. Call it a 21st century doctor's house call. And really, the amazing thing, the truly amazing thing about the Barnard Medical Center is that all of the doctors and dietitians on staff there are plant-based. They understand the importance of nutrition and preventative medicine. It's about treating the cause, not just the symptom. It's about addressing underlying issues. And that is something that we can all benefit from. So make your appointment today by visiting barnardmedical.org or by picking up the phone and calling 202-527-7500. That's barnardmedical.org or call 202-527-7500. We've put a link, by the way, in the episode notes. You can just click there and get on your mighty way. Now, new patients are being accepted right now if you live in California, New York, Washington, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, Missouri, Arizona, Colorado, and Massachusetts. If you live anywhere in any of those locations, the Barnard Medical Center would love to help you lead a healthier life. Coming up on the exam room next week, holy Moses, do we have a heck of a lineup. Dr. Joel Kahn will be here to discuss lipoprotein little a. He's got a new book out all about that, and that is making the rounds right now on the internet. Lipoprotein little a. Have you heard about this stuff? We're going to break that down in great detail when Dr. Joel Kahn joins the exam room. And, and we are also going to be joined by the one and only Dr. Michael Greger. He will be here on the exam room next Thursday. This is going to be a big week for the show. So all of that plus more of your questions with Dr. Barnard. So make sure that you get in on the fun by subscribing to the exam room by the Physicians Committee on Apple Podcast or on Spotify, you know, wherever shows are available. And also when you do that, please leave a five-star rating because believe it or not, when you do that, you will also be helping to get this information to those who need it the most. I've said this before and I'll say it again. The more subscriptions and the more positive reviews and five-star ratings we have, the higher we climb in the podcast rankings. And the higher we climb, the easier it is for people to find the show and this life-changing and life-saving information. So please, just by clicking subscribe and and leaving us that five-star rating, you can really help make the world a healthier place for the next guy or girl and that's going to wrap things up for us for today my thanks again to doctors neil barnard and jasmine sardana and of course the dietitian who loves fiber like no other lee crosby for everyone here at the physicians committee i am the weight loss champion chuck carroll thank you so very much for joining us and remember stay safe and keep it plant-based (laughs) 